Welcome back to Holistic Finance. I am your host, Ryan Burklow. With me, as always, is Alexander Collins. And on today's episode, we're going to be continuing our conversation around how to create your own personal financial plan. Today's episode, we're going over steps five and six. And if you can do math in any way, shape, or form, you'd realize that we've had steps one, two, three, and four already uh, accomplished at this point. We've said this in the last two episodes. Make sure we're gonna, we want to say it again. Do not start on this episode. If you're wanting to create a plan, go back to the first episode around that, which is two episodes ago, and make sure you click on the link to download the PDF that goes along with this podcast episode, right? Because we're going to be talking into what you're reading, giving you a little bit of context, a little bit of background, a little bit of background around what those steps entail and how to and how to take advantage of them. And so make sure you go back and look at that and complete steps one through four, because these steps are in order of operations. Yes. Yeah, and Alex important. is laughing a lot at me right now. Alex, you, <laughs> did I miss it, something? <laughs> no, I mean, it's it. I, I would I would think and I would hope that our listenership is smart enough and intelligent enough to do things in order and yeah, it's always good to provide people reminders. Yeah, and start I, always reminders. So, I, I I have this image in my head of you like starting on step eighteen of like fifty seven for like an IKEA bookshelf right now. That's why I'm laughing. You never know. And to be honest, I would do that. So <laughs> I know call you it would. What that, it is. That's, that's why I'm laughing. <laughs> <laughs> so, so let's dive into this. So in our last episode, Alex, we really had an episode around protecting our income, right? Like the money that's coming in the door. If that money stopped, obviously we're no longer building assets. We're no longer paying debts. Like our lifestyle completely changes dramatically. Yeah. And the reason why that is ahead of emergency reserve and paying down high interest rate debt is exactly what you just said. If we don't protect our income and something happens, like all of the, like it doesn't matter if we have an emergency reserve or if we have paid down all of our high interest rate debt, because if our income goes away and it's not protected, like here's a paddle, you don't get a canoe and the river is that way, or yep. you just got dropped in it from like 50 feet or whatever. Like you, you don't have a chance because like they're without income, without cash flow, it it almost doesn't matter what else you have. Like yeah, there's the extreme examples where you've got just a ton of assets that will wind up protecting you. But protect your income first because without cash flow, all of the all of the assets just start getting depleted immediately. Which takes us to step number five. So step number five is like many people have heard, right? Establishing an emergency fund. And while many people have heard of it, there's common questions that we get, like how much of an emergency fund should I have? Right. And, and they go back and forth on, you know, what, what that, that number is, is our suggestion is, is to have a minimum of three months of your gross income in an emergency fund sitting in some sort of checking savings account. You might hear, I know oftentimes, and we always get a little bit of pushback on this, Alex, where people say, so it's not expenses? Nope. And we think it's your gross income because the fact of the matter is, is your money that's coming in the door, you're using every penny of it. You're paying taxes with some of it. You're saving some of it, ideally, 
right? You're living your lifestyle with some of it. You're paying your expenses with some of it. So you're using every dollar in some way, shape or form. And you want some sense of a buffer as well sitting in that emergency fund, because I don't know about you, Alex, I can't tell you to the penny what I spend on a (laughs) expense type of aspect because I didn't predict, and I keep saying this, but it's just relevant relevant to the conversation we keep having. I didn't expect a $1,500 tire bill last month. Yeah. It's, it's like clients are constantly having things that pop up and it's not anything that is expected. At least most of the time it's not, um, you know, if we can't, if we can't plan for the expected expenses, how can we possibly think that we're going to plan for the unexpected expenses, whether it's a new roof or a hot water heater that goes out or like any like tires or whatever else pops up that is like tires are maybe something you can somewhat plan for, but at the same time, the exact timing of that may not be known, but it, it's something where like unexpected medical bills or, or whatever else, like all of these things that pop up in life and we don't have a choice as to when we pay them. Yeah. I mean, that's what this is designed to do. So there's some specific reasons why it's three months worth of your gross income. And that's, that's t- fairly typical of like what the biggest expense that somebody's going to run into is somewhere around three months worth of your gross income. Now, like we've done what half a dozen different episodes on uh, like inside of the podcast on like why to hold cash and like things of that nature. Um, and like the rate of return of, of holding on to cash and things of that nature. Like very few times have we ever heard clients say, boy, I'm, I'm really upset that you guys told me to hold on to cash because of X. Like <laughs> we always hear, I'm so glad that I have cash because you guys told me to hold on to it. Um, and so like most of the time we actually recommend having considerably more than three months, three months is a starting spot and it's a good like first place to get to. Then after that, we can continue building until we have somewhere in the neighborhood of one year worth of gross income it doesn't all need to be sitting in a bank per se in our checking and savings accounts. We, we can deploy it to getting a higher yield or you know, taking on some amount of risk. Um, although most of the time we, we prefer these to be in, in promise-based assets that are taking on little to no risk as opposed to market-based assets, whether it's stock market, bond market, real estate market, insert whatever market you want here. We don't want your emergency reserve to be based on the opinion of others. Yeah, it, you know, as as Morgan Housel says in his book Psychology of Money, it's it's about leaving room for error. And I think too many people they they have this financial plan, and it doesn't have any room for error. Like, if they don't get whatever they exactly plan out, like if something bad happens, and it doesn't. When I say bad, I'm not talking about like catastrophe. I'm just saying like one little one little link doesn't line up. Like the whole plan doesn't work out very well for them. When, like an error isn't necessarily an error that you made or anything of that nature. It's just right happening. Like this who is- predicted COVID in 2020? Who predicted Russia to invade uh, Ukraine last year? Right? Who pre- like we've never predicted this stuff. So it's it's the it's the stuff that you can't predict. Well, and that you're you leaving can, room for. You can almost go back through history and like once a year or once every other year or once every third year at most 
you're getting these massive like one-time things that pop into play, like the financial meltdown or like the twin tower, like all of this stuff. And if you just go back year by year, like there's usually one or two events that like occur that people are like, well, no, nobody could have predicted X, whatever it is. Um, and, and so to wake, we need to be planning for the unexpected because right. while, while we don't know what it's going to be, we know that it's going to happen. And I think the last thing we'll just, we'll comment on the emergency fund is if your income is variable at all, you might want to consider having more than three months sitting there because you don't want to have to tap into that so much where you tap into almost like a full month of that, uh, that three month savings. And now you're down to two months. How do you rebuild that? Right. Again, it goes, it goes back to that flexibility. So you might want to consider having more than three months. So really sit down and look, look at that from, from the perspective of your income and the variability of that income or where that income's coming from. So that, that's the emergency fund. If I could speak, that's the emergency fund components. That's step number five in creating your own financial plan. Moving to step number six, this is a this is a conversation that many people want to have. They're, they're concerned about debts. They're concerned about how do I take care of the debts, right? And so when we're talking about debts, specifically, step number six is taking care of your high interest rate debt. Yeah. Um, and like it's it is somewhat surprising and shocking how many people won't address the other two things that we've talked about in prior steps, protecting your income and having an emergency reserve before addressing this. So it's something where like, absolutely these are in a very specific order as a, because it is important to address the other things first before we start addressing high interest rate debt. Yeah. Is the issue, the issue that occurs here, sorry to interrupt you, Alex, but th- this is something we see all the time. And we even hear clients tell us it is, well, I was overpaying all my debt because I was tracking, I was, you know, I was listening to some, you know, talking media personality that told me that I should be paying off my high interest rate debt first. So they started doing it, but then all of a sudden they had to put a thousand dollars into their car because it broke down. And oh, by the way, they had to do it because they had to get to work, which provides their income. So they're, they're going through this process yet. Had they built the emergency fund first, they would have the funds sitting aside to take care of that thousand dollar debt. Instead, because they did not take care of the emergency fund first, they actually had to go back into debt for the thousand dollars. So they actually just like erased all of the debt that they just they just took care of. Mentally, that's defeating. But in addition to that, sometimes we may not even have the ability to access some of that credit that we've paid down some of the, some of the reserves that we've essentially built up by paying down high interest rate credit. Cause I hear people thinking to themselves, Oh, Hey, like, I don't want to put money into a savings account to build up three months worth of savings earning zero point nothing in order to like, I'd way rather pay down the high interest rate debt. And it's all about creating flexibility and creating the ability to have time in a crisis. If we've got cash, we have the ability to have more choice and more options and extra things are going to be available to us that simply having more room on a credit card is not likely to provide. 
so let's get into the high interest rate debt conversation, Alex, here. So let's define high interest rate debt, which I think sometimes people are like, okay, what, what's considered high interest rate? Mm-hmm. And what we typically say is anything above 7%, and that maybe is a little bit, some people could maybe bring it down to 6 but I would say 7% is that high interest rate beginning standpoint. because And the reason that's the case is, High interest rate debt is where where else could you put your money to earn interest on that money, right? And what was what's the risk associated with that? To get seven percent somewhere else with a very low risk is pretty hard to do. Yeah, I mean, if you're paying off debt, I'd I'd way rather pay off a seven percent credit card than attempt to invest and get an eight percent rate of return. The eight percent is variable and it's going to fluctuate up and down, the 7% is guaranteed. And as we've experienced over the last year or so, we see occasionally rates, interest rates rise, and that can cause even bigger issues. So it's one of those things where like, we need to identify, okay, what are the bad debts? Um, And typically it's the higher interest rates, 6% or 7% and up. They're typically not tax deductible. So we don't get to write them off on our taxes um, because if we get to write stuff off on our taxes, it it helps reduce the carrying cost of it. it regardless of whether we it, it's the, we can talk about good debt or bad debt, but it's something that just because we can write it off doesn't mean it's okay. It just means it's maybe less bad than say a 7% or higher interest rate that we can't write off. Yeah. So three steps to really kind of figure this out with your debts, right? First, itemize your debts, like figure out, okay, what debts do you have and itemize them, right? Step number two, locate the interest rates on those debts, write them down next to the itemization, next to the list you just set. And then step number three, separate the high interest rate debts, right? Separate them. Now you have, you know, these two, three, four, debts that are classified as high interest rate debt. So now you have a pri- priority or focus on where to be paying over overpaying on these debts to get them get them handled. And to do that is obviously you need to make sure you understand or calculate what the monthly payment is on each debt and begin to say okay, I'm going to start paying down on these three priorities because their interest rates are above or 7 or above. Yeah, I mean, we can start going into the weeds on this stuff, but like the the goal here is to give you high level actionable items, um, and so like maybe we can go ahead and take a look at refinancing. Refinancing is restructuring the debt. It it may not just be about lowering your payment. We also need to take a look at like okay, what's the amount of interest that's paid? Um, I mean, really, what what you and I tend to do is take a time value of money approach to it. We're not going to attempt to to give you the listener a, a method of like punching that into a calculator um, because that's you know somewhat useless without more background information. Um, talk to a, a financial professional and make sure that you understand what you're doing um, before you go do it. But I mean, there's well, real quick. I mean, you brought it up. Let's not leave them hanging. Explain time value money, Alex. So the basic concept is like okay, the how much, like, what are our alternatives to paying down this debt? 
Um, and so we brought it up earlier of like, oh, hey, we don't necessarily want to invest in an 8% expected rate of return when we can get a 7% guarantee. Um, like Now, if we actually get an 8% rate of return over time, in theory, we're going to be better off than the 7%, but there's risk associated with that 8 whereas there's not any risk associated with the 7 So that is an example. But like we see folks that are overpaying on like a 2.5% mortgage when they're expecting to get like six to eight percent on their investments. Well, considering you can go get a high yield savings account pushing four percent right now, right? So that's what we're talking about time value money. Okay, do I two and a half percent? Do I save two and a half percent on this interest rate, or do I earn four percent of my high yield savings? Right? That's a, that's one point five percent extra you're getting. Yeah, you're gonna be better off putting into that high yield savings. And if in the future that high yield savings goes down, Okay, great. We just we can lump sum it at the mortgage if we choose to. Like I would still expect that. Like in my example, I had a two and a half percent interest rate on my mortgage. I never want to pay extra on that. That is below what we expect inflation to be on an ongoing basis. It's below. Like it's at or below what the Fed is trying to get inflation back to. And so as like there's very, very little to no reason to pay that off beyond like the emotional gratification of having it occur. And like, if we go back to where interest rates or banks are earning zero point nothing, then yeah, like I'd rather the money get put against a mortgage at two and a half percent than sit in a bank getting zero point nothing. But if we can go get 4% sitting in a bank I'd rather have it sitting there because it's liquid, it's accessible. Like even if we have to pay taxes on it, which we would, like that's still better off than prepaying a two and a half percent interest rate. Um, and yep. so some of the, some of the tactics once we've ident- once we've created this list of debts, what the what the rates are, what the payments are, um, things of that nature, we need to take a look at like okay, can we restructure or refinance this debt? If so, what's the cost to doing so? What's the new payment? We can take a look at at refinancing our mortgage. We can take a look at getting a line of credit. There's a couple different places that we can potentially go to get these types of things. And you absolutely should talk to a financial professional before you wind up taking out any of these options. So those are... It's, it's all about looking at, at everything holistically, right? And so, Alex, you know, the, the prime example you brought up with the line of credit, what most people will, I think, misunderstand is we're talking about like if you have a credit card debt and let's just say you're paying 20% interest on that credit card debt, you might be able to go get a line of credit at a 10% interest rate debt. So you just cut the interest rate in half. Right. <clears throat> we still want to overpay on that 10% line of credit. But it's way the heck more efficient and effective for you than the twenty percent. Right. So you lower your monthly payment, and if you continue to pay what you were paying on the credit card, now you're attacking the debt even faster. That's what we mean by that. And all of this is about trying to be as efficient and effective with how we're attacking that debt as possible. Um, like we constantly hear things like, "Oh, should I invest instead of doing this?" But again, it depends on your unique situation. If you have high interest rate debt, most of the time it makes sense to take care of that first. Absolutely. The the one potential exception to that would be if we get a, a very strong match from our company inside of our 401k or something of that nature.
but then we're talking about apples and oranges with what we're trying to accomplish with the money. Is it short-term money? Is it long-term money? Which gets into back to budgeting and like what we're trying to accomplish. Um, at the same time, like it's hard to, it's hard to beat getting free money. So as a real quick review of these two steps, step number five is make sure you've established the emergency fund. We suggest you have at least three months of your gross income. And then step number six is making sure you have a plan of action of taking care of your high interest rate debt, which takes us to the question of the day, Alex. Our question today is how much are you comfortable with in your emergency reserve? This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be construed as tax, legal, or investment advice. Although the information has been gathered from sources believed to be reliable, please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, the information should be relied upon only when coordinated with individual professional advice. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by Park Avenue Securities Guardian or Quantified Financial Partners and opinions stated are their own. Guardian, its subsidiaries, agents, and employees do not provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Consult your tax, legal, or accounting professional regarding your individual situation. All investments and investment strategies contain risk and may lose value. This material is intended for general public use. By providing this content, Park Avenue Securities LLC is not undertaking to provide investment advice or a recommendation for any specific individual or situation or to otherwise act in a fiduciary capacity. Please contact a representative for guidance and information that is specific to your individual situation. Ryan and Alex are registered representatives and financial advisors of Park Avenue Securities LLC. OSJ 200 Market Street, Suite 1850, Portland, Oregon 97201, phone number 503-221-1226. Securities products and advisory services offered through Park Avenue Securities member FINRA SIPC. Financial representatives of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. Park Avenue Securities is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Quantified Financial Partners is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Park Avenue Securities or Guardian. Ryan Burklow, Air Insurance License Number 15319412. CA Insurance License Number 0K24924. Alexander Collins, Air Insurance License Number 7264699. CA Insurance License Number 0H24806. Pinpoint Number 2023-152191. Expiration March 2025.